our Bible study is in the book of Proverbs. So go ahead, and if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to the book of Proverbs, or you can follow along. We'll put the scriptures on the screen. And as you turn to Proverbs, we get ready to look at these, these verses. The book of Proverbs is one of my favorite, one of my very favorite books in the Bible. In Every book in the Bible, you know, has a different emphasis, a different purpose, but you don't get much, you don't get much more practical than the book of Proverbs, right? The book of Proverbs, I mean, it's called Proverbs, wise saying, you know, basically principles to live by. And so in the book of Proverbs, you find information on how to have a better family life. You find information on how to have a better financial life. In the book of Proverbs, you get information about uh, about how your relationships can be better, how your business can be better. It's inter interpersonal and economical and all kinds of really great. But then, of course, there's, it's all rooted on a spiritual foundation. It all begins with the fact that if we want all of these areas of our life to be in order, if we want the choices that we make and the decisions that we make to, be, to, to come out right, then we can't do it without having a solid foundation, and that's a relationship with God. And the book of Proverbs starts with that. So I'm not going to take a whole lot of time on the first part because the last time we met together, we looked at the first section, and then I said we'd pick it up. But I do want to just get us up to speed. So choices, daily decisions for grace-based living. Life is a series of choices that we make. Big ones, small ones. You made a series of choices today. You chose, you had to, you had to make a choice if you're going to get up and actually go to work today for some, for some of us. Hopefully you made the right decision in that regard. You had to make a choice of how you're going to treat the people that you live with. All kinds of choices that we make, the book of Proverbs focuses on those choices with us. So, look with me at, these, at the key verses here for, for this passage. So, Proverbs 1. Look with me at verse number 7 on through verse number 9. And we get some key insights here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Is that interesting there? Your perspective of who God is changes how you view everything in your life. You see that? It's pretty, pretty, it's, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Basically put, how you view God is going to affect how you live your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They, they close their ears. They don't want to hear about it. Verse number eight, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of, what's the word? Grace. They shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. That The chains about the neck, it's not, it's not describing like chains of bondage or prisoner's chains. This is the idea of decoration, of beauty, of, of jewelry. It says an ornament of grace to your head and, and chains about thy neck. But I want you to, again, focus on that statement there in verse 9. They shall be an ornament of grace unto thy, unto thy head. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. 
Father, I'm thankful that we have your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for how you speak to us through it. I pray that this time that we have this evening would be beneficial for us all. I pray that you would help us to, to learn from your word. I pray that you would help us to make the application for each of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, if you turn over in your notes, and we dive right into this in the introduction, the purpose of the book of Proverbs is really found in that, uh, in that verse number 7 through 9 that we just looked at. And the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to reveal to us, it is to reveal to us the wisdom of God. It is to show us the wisdom of God. I need to uh, all right, I needed to make sure I had a copy of the notes that had the blanks filled in because all of a sudden I realized I didn't have any of the blanks filled in. I had your copy. So the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to show us is to get is to teach us wisdom. Teach us wisdom. How do we define wisdom? We did this last time, but how would you define? I'll just ask you guys, how would you define? Give me a quick definition of wisdom. What is wisdom? <laughs> you're blank but you got it you got it started perfectly using knowledge it's not just having the knowledge it's not just having the information but putting it to use effectively in your life i i think we all have known people that have a lot of information in their head but it never turns out in their life it's never they, they never make the right decisions well listen that what we find out from the scripture here is this that there is wisdom there is wisdom that everybody has, right? Just like common sense that follow these principles and you do well. But you'll notice here that it's talking about a little bit different kind of wisdom because it's a wisdom that can only be really received with spiritual insight. Because what we saw in that verse, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So wisdom is not just having information or just making good decisions. True wisdom for the Christian is understanding life the way who understands it? Yeah, the way God sees it. So as I look at the choices that I make, as I look at the decisions that I make, wisdom is making those decisions under God's direction. Now, I don't expect to be praying in the morning and all of a sudden hear a voice. In fact, one of the uh, one of the uh, college students sent me a um, uh, sent me a text message the other day, and um, it was actually Mike. I'm looking forward to Mike getting back in uh, in a few weeks, and uh, I've missed him this summer. But Mike sent me a message this week, and he asked me. He's like, "Hey, how do I know the will of God for this situation?" He was facing a choice and a decision. And he's like, "Hey, how can you can you point me in the right direction?" And what I didn't tell him was, well, you know what? Just pray, and all of a sudden a voice will come into your head, and it will say, all right, make choice A, not choice, choice B. And he wasn't expecting that, of course. But as I reflected on that, you know, part of our Christian journey is understanding how God speaks to our hearts, how God shows us things. Primarily, what's the number one way that God is going to show his, his will to us? What's that? It's through his word. It's through the scriptures. That's why we're here studying the Bible together. 
Because as we know what the scriptures say, we're going to understand God's perspective. So wisdom is making our decisions with God's pers- from God's perspective. But then don't miss this. The second part, it's not just about wisdom and decision making. But do you remember that key word I had you say with me in verse number nine? They shall be an ornament of, there it is, an ornament of what? What is grace? So we know what wisdom is, so what's grace? Grace is what? Yeah, grace is God putting something into our lives that we don't deserve. Grace is, grace is God saying, I want to do something in, for you, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. So think of, put, you got to put those two things together because this is important. There's a lot of people that look at Christianity, they look at the Bible, and they think, okay, well, if I keep all these rules, if I keep all these rules, then maybe, maybe if I do all these things, then God will not be so angry with me. That's not the point. God says, I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to have a life full of what? Grace. I want, I want, to, I want to give you my grace. I want to pour out my grace. So what he does in places like the book of Proverbs is he says, here, let me give you the key. Let me open the door for you. Let me open the window through which I can pour out some of this grace into your life. If you will apply these principles, if you will learn to love me, if you will learn to follow me, then you're going to see this grace in your life. So don't think of it as just a collection of practical practical lessons. Think of this as a gift of God that he has given us. And of course, as we go through the book of Proverbs, and this is just the first lesson, but as we go through the book, there's all kinds of interesting characters we come across. So if you didn't get these filled out last time, I'll give them to you really quick. One of the, one of the key characters you're going to come across in the book of Proverbs is the wise man. All right? Cha-ching, that's what we all want to be. We want to be the wise man. In contrast to the wise man, the other key character is the, the foolish man, the fool. That's the person that doesn't want to hear it. We identified somebody else, the simple. That's the one who's just ignorant. They just don't know. They're not like the fool who says, the fool says, I don't care what God, I don't care about God. I don't care about his word. I don't care about any of that. That would be the fool. But the other character we come across in the book, he's the simple person. He's the person that just says, oh, well, I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know. Now, the, now, a simple person has the opportunity to become one of two people. And we'll talk about this in just a minute. The simple person will then become either a either wise or the fool, but that depends on what they do. So I think all of us really, we start at that place where the simple person. Well, there's a bunch more characters. If you study this book, there's a father, there's a mother, there is a son. You study it more, there's some, there's some interesting characters, there's some dangerous, there's some dangerous people, there are some dangerous men, there are some dangerous women. This book talks about um, protecting our lives uh, even sexually, financially, and how there are people that will uh, threaten us. So those are some of the main characters that we're going to discuss. So now let's take the rest of our time here and let's look at these main principles um, that you see on the other page on the other side of your handout here. So number one, write it down if you're following notes tonight. This wise, grace-filled living, 
Now, I know it's a little warm in here, but how many of you would say, yes, that's what I want? Can you give me an amen? Say, yes, I want that wisdom, grace-filled living. That's, that's what I want. Okay. It's not, who's got the blank from last time? Do you know it's not what? It's not natural. It is not natural. Grace-filled living is not natural. Look back with me in Proverbs chapter 1. Back up to verse number 1. Proverbs 1 and verse number 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Now he gives us this word too. In other words, this is why I wrote this. I wrote this for you to know wisdom and instruction. To perceive the words of understanding. So that's pretty clear, right? This is why we've been given this information. Verse 3, he goes on. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. Number 4 now, look at this. To give subtlety to the simple. To the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Look back at verse number four. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. The next blank there, under point number one, is this. Simplicity. Do you see that word simple? To give subtlety to the simple? Simplicity is our default setting. In other words, we don't naturally come into this world just filled with all kinds of wisdom and knowledge. That's what we spend hours and hours and hours trying to put a little bit of wisdom into our children's minds. We don't spend it, we don't have to, we don't have to train them how to get distracted. We don't have to train them to disobey. We don't have to train them to do any of those things. That just comes naturally. Left to ourselves, we stay in this simple place. But what about spiritually? What about spiritually? Because there are a lot of people that they advance in their life, they advance in their academics. They advance in their career. They advance maybe even in their relationships. They, all these areas of their life, they gain all of this. But what about our spiritual lives? How would you describe your understanding of God, of who He is, of what He wants to accomplish, of what your real purpose in this world is, and what the purpose of your life is? How, would you how, how, how is your understanding of that? You see, because the next blank here is this. Wisdom has to be taught. Wisdom has to be taught. And that's why, like you, I spend time listening to, to people teach the Bible. I've, most of my life, I've listened to, to different Christian people explain the Scriptures and teach the Bible. And I've read books about the Scriptures. And I've read the Bible for myself because from the time I was a young man, I had to understand that I had a lot of things I needed to know. So that in, involves humility, right? 
Now, I, didn't know, I don't always have that humility. But any time I've grown, it's because I've had that humility. What is, um, in verse number four, look at that. How would you, this is a word we don't use a lot, to give subtlety to the simple. Thoughts on that? What, what does that mean? To give subtlety to the simple. You guys are like, Ethan, you're the one that put the lesson together. You tell us. I mean, come on, man. But any, any ideas on that? Deborah, what were you going to say? Go ahead and loud because it's... Okay, so paying attention to the small things, to the subtleties. I think there's another word in this verse that kind of pairs up with that idea of subtlety. Discretion, exactly. Discretion. Somebody who has that subtlety, someone who has that discretion, knows not just how to tell the difference between what is blatantly wrong and what is blatantly right, but have you ever discovered in life sometimes the hardest decisions are between two seemingly good options? Right? Like, well, this seems okay. This seems how do How do I make that decision? Well, with spiritual insight, with the Word of God, God's design is to give us this, this subtlety, to give us this discretion, to understand how, what effect things are going to have in, on our lives. And because of that, verse number 5, let's go to verse number 5, a wise man, if you're going to be a wise man, you have to be willing to what? you got to be willing to hear. And you got to be willing to increase learning. And you've got to be willing to attain unto wise counsels. We spoke about this last, last time. So not only does wisdom have to be taught, wisdom has to be caught. You have to be willing, you have to be willing to receive it. So that's number one. That grace-filled living, it's not natural. It doesn't come automatically. Let's look at number two now. You ready? Number two. This wisdom, grace-filled living, it requires a... Two words, proper view of God. It requires a proper view of God. What are, what are some common misconceptions about who God is? What are some common misconceptions about who God is? Is maybe we can write some of these down. What, what was that, Jim? That God is like a genie in a bottle. What do you mean by that? Okay. If you get, if you ask just right, you get what you want, and God is there to meet our needs. That God is there. If I if I pray for this, I get this. If I I, I get three wishes. And my, fourth, my third wish is for a million more wishes. And I can just keep racking them up. There are people, that's their... And then when God doesn't answer their prayers, they say, well, you know what? Why? What's the point? So that's one misconception of who God is. I'll, I'll go with that. Trina. God is a God of just love. So that God is, is, a, is just love. Now, that's a tricky one because the Bible says God is love. But I think what you mean by that is they say, because he is love, then he can never be angry. Right. 
So he's just loving. Here's the thing, though. According to the Bible, God is only loving. But because he's all, all love, there are things that he has to be against. See what I mean? It's not, some people like to put it this way. Well, God isn't only love, he's also justice. No, God is only love, but because he's only love, that means he has the most awesome justice you've ever seen. Because perfect love requires perfect justice. But you're absolutely right. People think, well, if God is loving, then I can just do whatever I want. And there's no repercussions. That's a misconception. Somebody else, misconceptions about who God is. There's also some really negative views that people have. Or that they view God as always against them. Right? I've known many people, they think, well, God is just, he must just always be angry with me. God is upset with me. God is, God is never pleased with me. There's a lot of religious people. There's many people that grew up in religion, and their view of God is that he's just always angry. And I can only, I'm only afraid of him, and I hope I've been good enough to please him. That's a misconception of who God is. Now, do you think if you, if you view God how you view God, it's going to matter with how you live your life. What, any other misconceptions of how, who God is or how God is? I didn't explain it, but it's the concept. There's many different worlds that lead to heaven, and so there's one God, and all religions worship that one God. Right. That God, basically, that God, I'll, I'll put it this way. It's like the, the it's almost like idols, Right? God is whoever we imagine him to be. So God is, if you want to, if the Hindus imagine God to be like this, that's fine. If the Buddhists imagine God to be like this, that's fine. If there's a Catholic version of God and a Baptist version of God and there's a, a Protestant view of God and there's all these, like, it doesn't matter because it's all the same. Well, if, if God is God, who gets to define him? Well, we don't. I don't get to define God. I wouldn't dare stand up here and tell you, tell you, well, I think God is like that, right? The only authority I have to describe God comes from where? Well, how he's described himself. So God has revealed himself to us in his word. But we live in a generation where people just want to make their own definitions. They just want to say, well, I think God is this way, or I think God is that way, or I believe that. How different is that than somebody in a, in a jungle or, a, or some faraway place that says, you know what, I'm going to take this piece of wood and I'm going to carve it and I'm going to make this God and worship it. Right? That seems so primitive to us. But it's really the same thing that we do in, in modern society, except we do it in our minds. We, do it, we, we imagine who God is when he's revealed it to us. So these are all misconceptions of who God is. But if we really want to experience what God has planned for us, we have to understand who he says he is. And in fact, here in verse number seven, the ver we already looked at this verse, but look at it again really quick. Verse number seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that doesn't mean that we are supposed to be terrified, right? The fear of the Lord means it means basically what we just said. That if God is God, he is all-powerful, and I had better not 
be the one to say who he is. I'd better just submit to who he is. I'd better just, instead of saying, well, there are a lot of people that say, well, God, I will put God in my life if he can be like this. But the truth is, God says, this is who I am, and it's not about you adding me to your life. It's a, God says to us, you need to put, I need to put my life, I have to have the attitude toward God that says, I put my life under who you are. You are my Lord. That song that we sang, uh, talking about him as God and as king. He saved my soul. He's my king. So the fear of the Lord is a proper understanding of who God is. Now look at what goes on, though. It says this, that fools, back in verse number 7, I'm sorry, I wasn't done with it, but yeah, verse number 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so it, fear God is the first blank there under number 2, but then the second one is that it's it's foolish to, it's fools who ignore their creator. It's fools who ignore their creator. You say, wow, that's kind of like, you know, kind of intense words. Well, again, I'm just, I'm just doing my best to just read them from the Bible, what, they, what it says. But the idea here is this, that, can you imagine that there is a God, and for most of you in here, you're like, well, that's not hard to imagine because I believe, I know there is a God. But starting from the point that there is a God, think of the person who's skeptical. Think of a skeptical, skeptical person and say, you know what, that they say, you know, I'm just skeptical, I just don't think I can believe who God is, I'm just going to reject all that. Can you imagine then getting to the end of your life, meeting your creator, who would say to you, you had 70 Five, 85 years. I gave you my word. What is your excuse? That's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? To live an entire life without thinking in any way of the person who created us, of the one who created us and put us here. To live a whole life just completely ignoring who God is. That's what this is, that's the kind of attitude that this is speaking of. So he says here that graceful living, it's a, you, there's got to be a proper view of God, fear, the fear of God. Fools, it says here, ignore their creator, but then look at the good part. And this is the, the next blank there under point number two, that the fear of God, this proper view of God, brings the favor of God. The fear of God brings the favor of God. Again, the point is this, that there is grace. God wants to give us this grace, his favor, his blessing. I've met people before, they say, well, I just couldn't live. You know, you're a Christian. I could never live my life by all those rules. How many of you had somebody say something like that to you at some point in your life, right? Like, well, how could I live my life by all those rules? And in fact, I was a really, I was pretty young. I was maybe 19 years old. And that's a pretty crucial time in a person's life, wouldn't you agree? 19 years old, a lot of decisions you're going to make. And I had, at 19 years old, I had made a decision about following God with my life. And I had a very close relative, a very close family member, mock me. And they said to me, well, I'm not going to live my life by a book. 
And I was just like, I mean, I didn't argue with them or anything, but I just kind of made a mental note of that day. And that was almost 20 years ago. That was, yeah, about 20 years ago now. And just to mark down just what God has done in my life and my, the, how God has provided for me in my family, at my marriage, and my four children, and how God has blessed me financially, and how God has given, given me a wonderful church family, and how God has just ordered all these steps. I'm really glad I chose to live my life by the book. I'm just glad I did. Now, again, we know, if you're a Christian, you know, it's, we don't live by a book. We live in a relationship with the author of the book. Okay? I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I was a day in my life where I knew I was a sinner, and I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I began, a, not a religion, but a personal relationship with Jesus. So it's not that I live my life by a book, but in that relationship, the book is God's gift to me. God says, you are now in this relationship with me. Let me show you what I have planned for you in my book. So I hope you understand when I say I live my life by a book, it's not a rote manual. Some people have described, it, described the Bible as a love letter from God to us. This is more, or it's more like, a, a father's loving advice to his child. But that, that family member, they didn't understand that. They viewed it as just a list of rules or do's or don'ts. They didn't understand how much joy and happiness comes through following Jesus. And many of you, you've experienced the same thing. That the fear of God brings the favor of God. It's a wonderful life to know God. It's wonderful to raise my children and see them begin to follow God. It's a blessing, not a burden. It's a wonderful life. Okay, so we see this here, this sequence. It's not, it doesn't come naturally, was point number one. Number two, it requires a proper view of who God is. And then number three, this is key, write this one down, the blank here, Relationships. Relationships will make or break this grace-filled life. They'll make or break it. What do I mean, and we'll look at some verses here, but what do I mean by relationships will make or break it? Any ideas there what we're talking about? The what? The, the company that we keep. What did you say? Your friendships will make or break. This is something that we learn naturally in some ways in our lives. Our parents teach us this. They say, hey, don't hang out with that kid there. He's bad news. Now, as Christians, who should we be friends to? Notice my preposition. As Christians, who should we be friends to? To everyone. We should be the most outwardly embracing, loving people the world has ever known. We should be willing to be a friend to people that are like us, that are not like us, people that like us, people that don't like us, people who are for us, people who are against us. We should be, we should be a friend to anyone because that's who Jesus was. 
In fact, it was some of the roughest people of the day that liked to hang around Jesus. If you've read the stories of Jesus, in fact, they criticized him. They're like, Jesus, you're a friend of like all these people. Like, look at, who, look at who these people that are hanging around you. So, it's important that we understand this, that as Christians, we need to be a, we need to be a friend to the world, to, to all people. However, how many of you know, know there's a difference between being a friend to someone and having a close, intimate relation, friendship relationship with someone? What's the difference there? What's the difference? Yeah. Okay, what else, exactly, what else is the difference between these? There's a, I guess I think of it this way. When you have close relationships, friends, I mean, we're not talking about hanging out with somebody. We're not talking about, you know, going to grab lunch or whatever, we're talking about people that you are, you are building your life together with people. You are spending time with each other. What happens? There's an exchange of values, right? There's an exchange of, of passions, of interest, of, of values, of belief. And like you said, there's this rubbing off effect. In a good way, the Bible gives us one example that iron sharpens iron right? Iron, you put those two pieces of metal together and iron sharpens iron. So, but then there's another scripture that says this, can two walk together unless they're agreed, unless they're in agreement. So as Christians, we need to be discerning about our relationships. Whereas we need to be loving and, and friends, we need to realize that the closest, are, here's the question, are the closest people in my life leading me closer to God, or are they leading me away from God? You know what I mean? The closest people in my life, are they leading me toward God, or are they leading me away from God? And that's what we're going to see here in a few verses. So let me give you, uh, let me give you these two blanks, and then we'll just read them. So first of all, the, the first blank there, realize the allurement of the world that blank is world, and then develop a resistance to temptation. Develop a resistance to temptation. So look at this. Look at verse number 10 here in, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. Remember I said this is like a father's letter to his child. My son, this is a very, this, I memorized this verse when I was young. And it, it, it's one that you can, it just sticks with you. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. This reminds me of, a, was it the old uh, Nancy Reagan campaign back in the 80s? That campaign was, who, who knows what I'm talking about? What was it? Just say no. Now, most people now say that campaign did not succeed very effectively. The just say no campaign. But this is kind of a just say no uh, principle here, except there's a more powerful compulsion behind it because it is coming from a loving father to the son that says, hey, my son, if sinners entice thee, if there's a draw, if someone's pulling you, you need to have some resistance. 
You need to be able to say no. Here's something that I learned uh, several years ago that I, I never forgot, and if you're taking notes, I'd write this one down. It's called this. The principle of the greater yes. How many of you are familiar? Have you ever heard that? The principle of the greater yes. Okay, so two of us. Three of us, all right. And we're married, so we probably taught that, learned that at the same time. So the greater yes is this. How many of you, whether it was you or a friend of yours, you or someone you know quit smoking at some point in their life, okay? So, all right. Anybody in here, and maybe it, wasn't, maybe it was another habit, anybody in here do that whole thing where you kept the jar or something and the money that you spent on the cigarettes went in the jar? And you know what I'm talking about at least, right? I've known people to do that. And what was the plan there? And with that jar or with that separate account or whatever, what were you going to do? What might somebody do? Go where? Go on vacation. Or buy a truck. I've known people, they, you know, they were smoking a lot. And they're like, I'm buying a truck with all this money, right? Or they give, or something else. You say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this because I don't want to do it. Now, or maybe somebody's been like a weight loss thing. Either way, the point is this. Every time they thought, you know what? I really want to have another cigarette. It wasn't a just say no campaign, was it? It wasn't about saying no to buying the cigarettes. It was about saying yes to the vacation. Make, make sense? So that's the principle of the greater yes. In other words, it's a lot easier to say no if there's something greater that you look forward to. I remember my dad said this to me when I was, I don't know, maybe in my early 20s, but we were just talking about family life and temptation. He probably doesn't even remember saying this. We talked about, you know, people, we were talking about like people who are unfaithful to their spouse, right? We weren't talking about anybody in particular. And like sexual temptation, that's a real thing that people face, right? Let's put some, some real things in life. And one thing he said to me was, regarding that temptation, is he just thought in his mind, how could, I, how could I do that to my wife or my children? I thought about that. And it was that there was something of far greater value. Something of such far greater value than whatever the temptation was. Because whatever the temptation is, temptations are only temptations because they're pleasurable. Right? That that's what makes it a temptation. If it wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't call it a temptation. I don't know what we'd call it. Pain. <laughs> we, we sure wouldn't call it a temptation. But because there's a, there's a pull, there's a draw. So, so we have to think, you know what? God has put things in our life. God has, has far greater yeses, and he's made it easier for us to say no to them. Just take the Ten Commandments, right? It's... They're not against us, they're for us. Every one of the thou shalt nots actually results in a better life for the people that are affected by it. Thou shalt not commit adultery sure makes for a wonderful family. And you can't, you can't have, you can't give in to the temptation and have the blessing and the wonderful, and the, 
and the wonder of a good family at the same time. You can't have them. So the principle here is this. In our relationships, and as there will be people in our lives that say, and I gave an extreme example, but there's little things. There'll be people in our lives that influence us and say, oh, you know, I know you're a Christian, and I'm glad you're a Christian. That That's really good, man, but don't take it so seriously over here. You just kind of need to moderate a little bit. And, and, don't, and you've got to realize in those moments that, wait a minute, God loves me so much. And he's given me, he's promised me a home in heaven. He's promised me a blessing in this life. It is so much easier to say no to that crowd when I understand all the good things that God has in store for me. That's the principle of the greater yes. But it's alluring. Now, this young man is, I don't know who he's hanging out with, but wait till you see this group of people. Go ahead, verse 11. If these guys say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent. Hopefully, you're not hanging around with anybody like that. So, it's a pretty extreme example, but he's, but in this day, this was a violent day and age, right? This was a, and there are places today where this is, if you're in the inner city, this is a real, this is a real challenge for young people that they face. But you can, but yeah, and in, in other countries, you can, the point is this though, it's not, don't just focus on the specifics, it's a principle here. The principle is that he's got these violent friends trying to pull him into a lifestyle. And his father is saying, no, there's a better life for you. And they, they, they tempt him. And you, you, if you read down, you'll see they tempt him with the violence, with the money, with all that kind of stuff. And he says, you've got to resist that. There's, a greater, there's something so much greater to live for. Well, let's wrap it up here with the, on the back page of your notes. Rejecting grace, rejecting this grace, ends in tragedy. It ends in tragedy. Look at, look at verse number 20. Do I, did I give you verse number 20, James? Do you have that one to put up? Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words. She's just begging. Wisdom is like a, she's personified here, as, as if somebody's just calling out, hey, I'm here. You can have wisdom in your life. You can have this wisdom. It's here for you. How long will you, how long will you love simplicity? Are you just going to stay living the way that you are? Are you going to just continue to hate knowledge? And there's almost a sadness here. It's almost as if, it's almost as if it's a culture or a person where the Bible, the truth is available, but they're just not listening. Just not listening. And we live in a day and age where there's so many churches, there's so much scripture, there's, there's, there's so much. People don't want to listen. Well, look at verse 24. Verse number 24, do I have that one? I didn't put that one up, my mistake. So if you're following along in your Bible, just look at it. Because I have called and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. Ye have said it not all my counsel and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, 
Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So just these blanks if you want to get them. The proud will become fearful. The proud will become fearful. The strong will be humiliated. And the self-reliant will be abandoned. And that's the sad part. When the fact is this, number five, the concluding statement there, when we have the opportunity to embrace the grace and enjoy the journey. Proverbs 1.33 says this, But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. This doesn't mean that nothing bad will ever come into our life. I, I think we understand that. But there's a principle here. And that is, this is that greater yes. This is that point that God has a wonderful plan for each of us. But we have to make a decision. Will we live our lives on our terms? Or will we come to Christ and say, Jesus, if you died for me, if you gave your life for me, I will give my life to you. That's the promise that we can claim. Embrace the grace. Enjoy the journey. Let's conclude with prayer. Lord, I thank you that we've had the time tonight and to study your word and to see this application, Lord. I pray that you'd help us each to look at our own lives and to just examine ourselves, to see it. Lord, if we're walking, following you, or if we're living on our own terms. I pray that you turn our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.